Welcome to Rewired, an eating disorder recovery podcast. Hi, I'm Meg. And I'm Sophia. Each episode, we'll share experiences from our own eating disorder recoveries and our lives beyond. We will also be joined by some amazing guests and experts in the field who will share their experience, knowledge and advice to give hope that recovery is possible. Just to point out, Sophia and I are not medical professionals and we'll also be learning from our guests as we go. The podcast content reflects our own experiences and opinions as well as that of our guests and should not be taken as medical advice. Welcome to the Rewired podcast. Hi, Saf. It has been so long since we've recorded. It feels so strange. I know. It feels really good to chat to you again. It's been so long. Yeah, you too. You too. Um, So we were planning to do an episode with some kind of Q&A. We opened up on Instagram for any questions that people had. And we've got quite a few. I doubt we'll be able to get through all of them, but we can just work our way through and get through as many as we can. And then uh, end with a bit of an update about how we've both been, where we've been, why the podcast was so delayed in getting series two out and what our plan is with the podcast moving forward. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. We really, really appreciate them. And they were brilliant questions as well. So we can't wait to get started with them. Agree. And the patience with the podcast. <laughs> Epic delay between <laughs> between series. Something to say before I start reading the questions as well. I've kind of made notes. so I'm not reading them verbatim from Instagram. They're kind of in shorthand. So <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm butchering the question slightly or making it shorter than it actually is. Um, But okay, let's start. So one question was around how to be accountable for your own food and drink. I love this question because it shows that the person's really got the right intentions because we really do want to be accountable for our own food and drink to be the end goal. What I would say, though, is that don't set yourself up with the challenge of making you feel like you have to be accountable from day one of recovery. Like for me, it was definitely a staged approach. I didn't start off with going right this it's all got to be on me I've got to not reach out to other people like a big part of recovery is leaning on other people so to start with I very much used my therapist I had to give her like everything that I was eating in a day she would review it say the positives tell me what to kind of work on I would share with my husband what like my fear foods would be and we would do them together and we did that over and over and over till I felt really comfortable to the point of then me being able to do it by myself And then when I'd done that by myself for quite a while, and I don't know if you had to do this in the beginning, when I started challenging foods by myself, I'd still like send him a picture like, hey, I did it. I still needed that validation. And I think it's okay if you need that in the beginning, like people do that with coaches, with their partners, friends, and that's fine. But the more you do it, soon you'll get to the point of like, oh, I just ordered that, or I just made that food for myself and I didn't need anybody's validation I think it kind of starts to happen naturally Mm -hmm. um is a staged approach though and I think just taking it one step at a time is really good and it I think the question is brilliant because like I think Carolyn Costin talks about this a lot as well about the fact that it's not you against anybody else it's you against like yourself your eating disorder itself is a part of you that you kind of like need to challenge so you know you know at the end of the day if you've used an eating disorder behavior other people they could so easily miss it you might have made a sandwich for instance and somebody be like great she's eating sandwiches again but you know if you skimped on like the filling or the spread is really thin so you're the only one who can truly be the one who is accountable for what you're doing yeah, so true. Sometimes I say restrictions can be invisible. It can look like you're doing the best thing in the world. But if you've not quite had the thing that you wanted to have, you've restricted, but only you might know that you've restricted. Absolutely. And I think it's really key as well 
um, speaking to that point is to identify like what your red flags would be. So when you're feeling a really positive pace about your recovery, like what note down, like what would a red flag be to me? Because sometimes we have, we're really motivated, right? And we challenge foods and we're feeling really good, but you know, recovery isn't like that. It's not linear. We have ups and we have downs. So I think noting down, like what would be a red flag? What's something that if I was, for instance, doing a really thin spread, like what would that mean that would mean that it's yeah. kind of like I'm slipping in some way I love that like what are your alarm bells like if there's certain brands of things that you're ordering or a version of a food or you're getting a replacement or a safer option something like that that's a bit of an alarm bell like mm. yeah I love that and yeah exactly and it's you know you can tell a partner it doesn't mean that you only have to you know be accountable yeah. to yourself but your partner your coach or wh- whoever is supporting you is not going to remember everything they're not going to be aware of everything so yeah you kind of have to step in and do it for yourself you're advocating on yourself you're the one who's recovering for you you're not recovering for anybody else mm. yeah. yeah I love that it's kind of a combination of the two like because equally, some people might be in a situation where they feel like they can only eat on their own, or other people might be in a situation where I can only eat if someone's there to see it, like to justify it in a way like it only happened if somebody saw it kind of thing. And I guess either of those, you don't want to be on either of those ends of the spectrum, like you want to be able to eat with people and on your own. Well, if that's what you want to be able to do, I guess we're only working towards what we want to be able to do. Exactly. Um, And so whatever your accountability methods are in the early stages, like if you're using recovery record, I know that's an app in treatment where you can take photos for dietitians, that kind of thing, Um, or eating with people if that's needed. And then, yeah, like you're saying, if it is a goal for you to be able to eat on your own and you haven't been able to, or even like a goal for me was if Bren went out, Bren, my husband, if he went out in the evening, that I would be able to just enjoy a nice night in on my own. Like I'd get a takeaway, I'd have a glass of wine, I'd lie and watch some TV, light a candle, even lighting a candle, you know, stuff that is okay for me to do on my own. Like I don't need somebody there to justify it. And I'd have this horrible like barrage of thoughts that everything was a waste basically. Like, oh, it's a waste of money to buy a takeaway for yourself or it's a waste of money to cook a dinner if there's a leftovers in the fridge or it's a waste of money to light your candle. Everything just felt like a waste. It's a waste to open a bottle of wine when it's just for you. I could do it if other people were there. It didn't feel like a waste in that situation because other people somehow justified things for me. I didn't want that. Like I didn't want to be in a situation where my husband left the house And then I acted differently or felt unable to like nurture and look after myself in the same way that I would if he was around. Like I almost didn't want to be reliant on him in that way. I wanted it to come from me and just to be able to do it on my own. So yeah, definitely it was a big goal for me in my recovery, but it doesn't make it easier. Like still every time I came to do it, all of those thoughts would then kick off. Like it's a waste. It's not justified. Why are you doing it? It just felt so wrong. Like in my core, it felt wrong what I was doing. Do you think that was tied up to your self-worth as well? Yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 It not, yeah. You not being a good enough reason Mm. to just enjoy yourself or to treat yourself nicely. And it was confusing as well because it was a situation where I knew I wanted to be able to do it, but then when I came to do it, I didn't want to do it. So I'd go to it like, right, I'm going to, order a takeaway this weekend night in on my own here's what I'm going to do and then it would come to it and it so badly felt like the last thing in the world that I wanted to do but then I'd be like oh well maybe it's not what I want to do (laughs) you know like what I wanted was a nice night in on my own but now it's feeling horrible so clearly it's not what I wanted to do like it was almost proof that this is why I shouldn't do it sort of thing 
So I think the first few times it was difficult because I had to force myself to do it when it wasn't actually that enjoyable. Like it was kind of confirming every reason I didn't do it normally. Like you'll feel terrible if you do it. And then I do it and feel terrible. It was like, see, there's your proof. Mm. But I think holding a saying in my head of I'm not doing it because I want to do it today I'm doing it because I ultimately want to be able to do it that really really helped me like I'm acting in line with future me and how I want to be in the future Mm. even though it doesn't feel okay right now Mm. and that's that's such a good point because also that's why we don't challenge things once twice we need to challenge food situations over and over because the first once two three four times can feel pretty awful and like you say confirm like the eating disorder thoughts that this is horrible this isn't something I want to do but gradually it does get easier and you must be so happy now that you did challenge those things because you can enjoy a takeaway by yourself and actually probably really enjoy it I love it now like a night in on my own is fab I like put music on I like do some journaling like a candle watch the tv like oh it's such a treat yeah yeah, it just feel good. Like you just feel like you've really looked after yourself after yeah, it. Yeah, it's, like, it's genuinely really enjoyable. It wasn't the first few times I did it. It was horrendous. But now that I've kind of pushed through that and I don't know, I've just relaxed into it and felt a, a bit less stressed by it. It's just actually really enjoyable. It's brilliant. I think uh, another saying that I know a lot of people love is about what will your future self thank you for? Like, again, you're not doing it because you necessarily want to today, but for future you, you're like almost taking the hit now. Like I'm going to have a difficult time doing this now, but future me will thank me. And I guess you probably feel the same. Like you are now a future version of you in the past who has challenged these things. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? There was a a moment that really stands out to me with this. Like when I, I once, like during my twenties, I went traveling to Thailand and I remember getting on the airplane and then like bringing out the food. And it was just like a tray of fear foods for me. Like I was very much into my eating disorder. I was traveling completely by myself and I remember thinking like, no one's around me. Like nobody's going to know if I eat this or I don't eat this. What am I going to do? What am I going to choose to do right now? Do I want to eat it? Yeah, I do. What version of me do I want to start? And I want to be on this holiday. And, and, you know, this is something that you can really take with you outside of holiday environments when you are around other people, because actually a lot of the time people are just interested in what they're doing on a day to day basis. You need to really think about what you want. What do you want to eat? What do you want to experience? What person do you want to be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like in that situation, so you did want to eat it. I think that can happen too. Sometimes you genuinely do want to great crack on, do it. Sometimes you don't want to because you've got years and years of fears built up and it can actually like, sometimes I felt like I could taste anxiety when I was facing those kind of challenging situations. But then asking yourself that question, like, but how do I actually want this experience to be? Like, how do I want to remember this trip or like, what sort of person do I want to be? What do I respect in others as well? Like if I used to go out and Bren would stay home, he would straight away order a takeaway for himself and watch TV. And I was always really envious, like, I wish I could do that. But then in the moment, I hated it. So it was just pushing through that momentary discomfort because I was like moving towards the place I wanted to be. And you're so right how it's tied up to values. You're so right. You know, there were so many, you know, meals that I would go to with families like where, you know, in like our culture with the Asian culture, it's very much about like food. And if you 
if somebody offers you food and you don't eat it, it's quite insulting to them. And I would just avoid certain foods. I was embarrassed about the fact that I avoided it, but I just couldn't. I could not go yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. But I I also was very aware that I was probably really offending the people, but I just couldn't do anything about it. And that along with like also going out for meals my husband he loves going out for food and I just couldn't do it I just I just couldn't so it feels so good and way more in line with my values that I can go to somebody's house I can eat the food in terms of accountability they don't know if I'm having a small portion or a big portion or like if that's enough for me that's where I have to check in with myself it could be an invisible restriction yeah yeah I was actually saying to someone the other day as well that that discomfort of doing something so like the first few times you did those things with your family because you're acting in line with your values it probably was quite difficult I imagine awful, awful. but now it's fine easier no, love it. yeah hey, you get to trade different food somebody else yeah. is cooking for me like you just get to chat with amazing people I love going out to restaurants you know like it's a totally love different it. experience totally love different it. experience yeah I feel like when you first start challenging those things, because it feels so scary to do, it feels like it's always going to feel like that. Like it feels like that fear and the anxiety is attached to that food. So every time you ever have that food, you're going to have it. Whereas actually, I think the fear and the anxiety is attached is attached to the first few times having that food. Yes. Like it's not the food itself that's causing the fear and the anxiety. I mean, it is, but it's not in a way that it's going to forever. Like that feeling you have the first time isn't evidence that you're going to feel like that forever. It's evidence that you feel like that the first time you do it and then you'll do it yeah. again and again, and then it relaxes. So it's not actually the food. Like I think you feel like it's mm. the, I don't know, making food on my own or it's the eating, cooking from other people. That's the problem. Like actually it's not, it's just the first couple of times of doing it that are uncomfortable. Yeah, that's so true. And probably a lot of people can recognize the fact that at some point in their journey, maybe a few months ago or a year back there was a food that was really scary for them or a situation that was really scary for them they've actually overcome and now is no longer a big deal yeah. and so evidence that it can change that's so helpful as well isn't it like using evidence from another food that it's happened with and reminding yourself like no this does get better mm-hmm. absolutely yeah so the next question we had was around how to stop yourself from missing the concern and the caring roles which others had towards you during your illness or during your recovery this is such a good one and I think it's a a lot of people struggle with it including myself I think when I was in my eating disorder and like the thick of it I was pretty embarrassed with my behaviors I didn't want people to pick up on them I thought they might think I'm weird or that if they picked up on them they'd kind of like make me eat but as I started the recovery journey I started to notice like people were maybe care. I felt like they were caring less about me because things that they would do when I had my eating disorder, like there was a lot of fussing. I feel like there was, it felt good. It felt, and it it was only when I reflected at that point, when I looked back, I was like, oh, I did actually quite like the fussing in the sense, like, I know that sounds really awful. I sound like it anyway, maybe somebody can relate to it. I think it's, you're not. Um, Just like being, you know, like if there was like a family, dinner or barbecue or something food would be put aside for me like food that Sophia would eat because they know I wouldn't eat everything and then I think it would be sadly really stressful for like my family my partner if I wasn't to eat anything so they'd put something aside for me or make sure that I've eaten or let's get Sophia to eat have options first and so when I would now go to barbecues and meals even I think this was I noticed it kind of like midway through recovery because that's when people start to worry less about you like it's no longer 
oh my gosh, we need to get her food. But you are still going through an eating disorder. You still have the thoughts in your head. So that's when it starts to notice. I was like, wow, people aren't worrying about me so much anymore. They're like, just go get the food with the rest of the crowd. And I really, really struggled with that. And it kind of translated to me to like, yeah, people don't care about me or it made me feel like my eating disorder was no longer valid. Um, So yeah, it was a really, really difficult one to navigate. I'd say the way that I navigated it was that I thought about the fact that now my relationship to these people in my life is totally different. Before it was very much like, yeah, people were pandering towards me. It was very much an adult kind of child, adult kind of like worrying about me relationship, which do you know what? That's probably might've been one of the reasons why my ED developed, like, because maybe I needed that. And so like, okay, having compassion with that part of you that needed that for some reason, but it's not serving you anymore. And I don't, I don't want to stick in that relationship anymore. Like I feel like with my mom, for instance, like I have a way more like, adult to adult relationship I'm there yeah. for her and she's there for me in a way that's like less childlike and again like with my husband like he's not pandering I, he he can lean on me too I can lean on him and he can lean on me whereas I think when I had my eating disorder I don't think anybody felt they could lean on me um which I know is kind of also scary that you might have to hold people in some way but it's so empowering as well and I feel like it's you know especially now being a mum to two little ones I feel so grateful that I kind of got to that point where I feel stronger and I feel like I don't need that childlike care that I needed when I had my eating disorder because I've got two little ones that need my care and they need my everything and yeah and they can't hold anything for me I need to hold everything for them does that make sense definitely so did you almost feel like as nice as that feeling was I feel like that's human nature as well to feel like it's nice to be cared for surely mm-hmm. must be for lots of people but did you also feel like you were losing a lot out of the relationship in order to have that feeling like as nice as that was there was also a big cost to it almost exactly exactly there's a massive cost to it for the fact that people were worrying about me that they had to do these sorts of things the fact that I had to be different like that I had to have my particular meals it's really nice to be able to join in like it's mm. nice to be able to be part of the crowd um and yeah it's just the dynamics of relationships change. You feel like nobody will care about you, but the care changes. Nobody cares about me less, but actually, you know, they value me for me as Mm. opposed to like worrying that if I don't eat or if I don't have the food that I need, that they want to be with me. They want to talk to me because of my personality. And I know that's really scary to some people who might think maybe they don't want to be with me. Maybe they don't want to engage my personality, but you've got to have faith in the process and the fact that you are a special person you've got a great personality and people will see that and the people that there will be a lot of people who want to be with you just because of you being you not because of your eating disorder you don't need an eating disorder for people to care about you yeah I feel like you need capacity for it as well like an eating disorder is so all-consuming it takes over all your thinking your time your routine your emotions your headspace your capacity to be around people and like even to engage with people and to listen to what they're actually saying. I found that so difficult because I always had a good half of my brain running through food whilst I was talking to someone. So I don't feel like I could be that connected to people whilst so much of me was consumed by something else. Like I just wasn't available, like through no fault of my own, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I physically could not operate with an eating disorder and fully be in the world and be engaged with people and hold down relationships exactly no I completely agree and like that's that's a really good point like you can't feel bad about that your body was 
it was missing a huge need of your own which was to like nourish your body so of course your body's like in that state of trying to get you food in some way and the way to do that is keep repeating the thoughts of, about food um so yeah it feels great to be able to connect with people and not to have like that background noise that stops you from being able to connect with people and really be in the moment and mm. so yeah did you have this at all did you have this caring um, so the examples of like having my own food adaptations for example I actually hated 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 myself like funny how people are different isn't it I that was I found that so stressful and I would almost try and hide the fact I was doing that but then it just the environment I did it in as well like it just didn't it wasn't good or okay it didn't feel good to me but I can relate to it in some ways like when I was coming out of hospital treatment that kind of intensive treatment I received where almost every responsibility was taken away from me and I didn't have to worry about life you know I was taken out of you're taking up whatever school work whatever like you don't have to worry about bills or pressures or you know like everything's taken off your hands so in a way that I felt like a like a safety net of that or a nice little security in that. So in that way, I found that difficult to leave. But in the same way as you, it came at such a cost. I missed out on so much of life to have that sense of safety or security, whatever it is. And don't get me wrong, even now, I'd love to have some pressures and responsibilities taken off my hands, you know? I'd love to not have to pay bills, but not at the cost of not being present in life and not having meaningful relationships and not running my own life, you know, and owning my own space. And yeah, just, just not, it's not worth it. Is it that what you'd be losing? And, and if you're somebody who isn't sure what it would be that you're losing, like you don't know how your life is going to look without the eating disorder. So there could be some amazing things waiting for you. If, if you let go of that, you know? Okay. Someone said that they were curious, actually a couple of people said this, that they were curious about the future and how much energy they were going to have. When will they get less sick? And then a follow-up question of, did your bones heal? So maybe if we start with the energy part of the question. Yeah, definitely my energy changed. Um, obviously not like overnight. It was a process where it got better and better. It's really hard to remember exactly how I felt, obviously, in the moment, because it feels quite a long time ago. But I remember I slept a lot. I was tired a lot. And um, I actually completely forgot this until I speak to my husband about what questions we're going to be talking about. And he said that I used to I used to stop and just like stretch randomly in the road because I had such bad cramps in my legs. So mm. I think and then that really triggered me. It reminded me like, yeah, I used to get a lot of body pains, just okay. pains. Um, and did you notice a time when they went? Was there like a day or is it just a gradual thing? Gradual, gradual, mm. step by step um yeah day by day it just kind of like got better over time I also had like swelling like I had some swelling in my legs as well so all of these things just got better the more I ate and the more I rested so for me it was also a lot about movement um not listening to my body and doing it when I shouldn't have been doing it so yeah it was it wasn't overnight it was it was over time but gosh yeah like my body just feels so much better and stronger now than when I had my yeah. eating disorder yeah I don't think I was even aware of how bad I felt sometimes until I didn't feel like it and now looking back I think oh that was not okay feeling like that but then you know even as I'm saying this 
I'm remembering messages I've had on Instagram, like some people I know have recovered into difficult health and they've had other problems, other health conditions, that kind of thing. So I just, I feel a bit conscious now I've said that of like, I don't want a, a promised dream feeling in your body when you recover, because I guess it is very different for everybody in the body that they're recovering into and in their state of health. I think that's a really important point um, because, yeah, we don't know what our bodies are going to look like after recovery. Exactly. We don't know what other health things are going to pop up. And, you know, if you follow Mia Findlay, who's also a recovery coach, she talks very openly about the fact that she's got endometriosis and how that impacts her life. And that was something she couldn't foresee. But for sure. And also I've got clients as well who have recovered and, and things have popped up in their lives that are really, really difficult. But for sure. No, but none of them are saying, you know what, it would be better if I still have my eating disorder. Uh -huh. This would be a better situation if I had my eating disorder. Like it it it, it would just be compounding the issue. Mm -hmm. Um good point. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting what you were saying as well with sleeping a lot. Again, different experiences. I had the opposite. I had insomnia, which was horrible. And but definitely low energy. I can remember like all similar to you. I don't really remember a time when it particularly changed. But if I look back now, I can just remember what a slog life used to feel like, especially the afternoons. Somehow the afternoon was so difficult for me. And then, oh, to be honest, though, there was even a time where the whole day was just horrible. And I almost woke up just counting down the minutes until I could go back to bed again, which makes me so sad to think about now. But I can't vividly picture how I actually felt but it must have not been nice for me to just be buying time to get through the day basically to get through the next time that I could eat and exactly. then to get through the whole day and go to bed exactly yeah that's how I felt like just wishing the day away so that I could get like another meal or I think that's also why I slept a lot I used to wake up very uh -huh. late very late on the weekends and I'm pretty sure that's because I just wanted to get through a lot of the day that I wouldn't feel hungry mm. um, which again, it makes me feel so sad. Life is yeah. so precious. It's not to be slept yeah. through. It's like really funny because both of us have so much less sleep now and so much less rest. Now we're mums. Like I can't, I was telling you, right? Like I haven't slept a night for three years. Uh, hmm. And <laughs> we're up like at crazy o'clock, but we both have way more energy uh -huh. than we would ever have when we had our eating disorder. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, totally. And with the just wanting to get through the day, like now I look back on it, it feels so sad, but I can fully understand it in that moment that it's one of those, it just felt better in the moment. Like the moments were so torturous to me, I imagine to you as well. I did just want time to pass. I did just want to get through the days. I just wanted food and days to be over. And I guess that's because in the moment, that's what felt better. But it's only kind of like, if I look at the bigger picture that I can see, that's not how I actually wanted to be living my life. But in those moments, it was how I wanted to live my life. So it's going through that difficulty of like the, the actions of recovery and doing what I needed to do, like fixing my diet, my weight, you know, getting myself healthier and better to now be able to feel better and enjoy my time more. But in those moments, it was that I was just living in the moment, basically, of how can I make this feel bearable? Yeah. And this is like going back to what you were saying earlier about the life you ultimately want to live. So feeling that discomfort in the moment for the fact that ultimately you want to live a life where you're not wishing away your minutes, where you wake up early in the morning and you're not fearful of the fact that you can't eat till a certain time because you're going to nourish your body throughout the day and you're going to enjoy yourself and you're going to live fully, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Knowing that food's just allowed whenever, whatever, any time of day, whatever you want, whenever you want it. Exactly. It's a lot of pressure off. Yeah. Okay. And what about the bones part of the question? So the bones, so this was something I was really, really worried about because I got, 
diagnosed with osteoporosis when I was in my 20s and I was just like oh my gosh this is um I, I remember being so upset about it um and then I got tested like a few years ago and I've got osteopenia so it's actually getting better and I was not expecting that because they say that your bones generally don't improve Mm -hmm. what you've got you got so the fact that it's got better is it's a really good sign I I should go and get another test actually done but it's yeah it shows and I think it's because I got my periods back and then I got more estrogen so the sooner you do it the sooner you act on it you know maybe Mm. up your bones too yeah and how old are you now sir I'm 36 yeah Do you mind sharing that? No, I don't mind sharing it. <laughs> Only because you said it was in your 20s. I wonder if people will be wondering. Oh, yeah, good point. They're good. They'll be like, she's still in her 20s now. Um, <laughs> what about you? How are your bones? Um, so also similar situation to you. Um, I know we were both super surprised when we spoke to each other about this. But yeah, I had osteoporosis and osteopenia. And then in subsequent bone scans, they've both gotten better, which I was also really, really surprised about. And I actually have had I've had a series of bone scans and when I was in recovery before my bones got better and then I relapsed and my bones got worse and then I got better again and my bones got better again so this is just I'm only speaking for me like this is not any sort of research project but yeah that's been my experience with bone scans makes sense though was was that linked to your periods do you think as well probably yeah and just yeah just nourishing myself like my body is just so thankful it's just in such a better place it's amazing Um, isn't it how the body just adapts and and tries to recover and tries to make things you know tries to make you healthy again as much as it can yeah but it's worrying definitely like I do worry now about my bones even like you're asking you won't be able to see this on a podcast but I've got my wrists strapped up I've just been to a physio today because I've been getting a really sore wrist from holding Freddie which I'm sure people do get injuries picking children up and you know with their backs and whatever parts um but yeah I was definitely worried as my wrist started hurting more and more and then I'm thinking oh god and I've got weak bones it's just it's not nice to be oh, thinking it panics that. me too it panics me too yeah. I would say that my wrists and my ankles are still not the strongest in the world and probably wrists again is from like picking up kids but I'm like you it does it does worry me and I just touch wood you know that I haven't broke a bone or anything but you do you do panic don't you that something mm. could happen because you have this this weakness mm. I did break a bone break a bone actually <laughs> I uh yeah shattered my collarbone in my 20s which was <laughs> horrid and it's still not healed at all it's still well no it has healed I mean I'm not walking around with a broken bone um it's just, just like very clicky yeah very grindy it's a bit rank and weak very weak funny actually it happened um right outside a hospital literally right outside a hospital I could see the hospital and they sent an ambulance for me (laughs) (laughs) I could see the door of (laughs) A&E just shove me in the right direction oh my god that's so scary I know and I was like some somewhere in my 20s at the time like I was working and when I walked into A&E like they pushed me in in a wheelchair wheelchair (laughs) wheelchair you've become posh I know it did happen in Chelsea in London (laughs) and um this uh, lady like bent right down and she's like where's your mum I was like my mum's in Devon I was like living in London at the time I was like I don't know I think she thought I was like 12 or something oh my gosh how old were you uh 24 (laughs) (laughs) you just youthful looks 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Oh, oh bless you. Okay. Oh, next one, Meg. So a few people asked about stopping calorie counting and someone was in the UK asking it because, uh, what do you call it? Like calorie counts have been mandated on some menus at restaurants that are a certain size. Uh, so yeah, how did you stop calorie counting? Maybe we could even do an episode on this. Yeah, I think it is a good one to do an episode on actually, because I was talking to a client about it today with some with it's something that they really, really struggle with. And it's definitely something that I found really hard. I think generally numbers in eating disorders are difficult calorie counting reps calories burn macros thank god I didn't get into all of these different steps exactly all these different things are like eating disorders just thrive off of them yeah sorry to interrupt you there sir no go for it I kind of feel a bit like my brain is a bit wired around those kind of things as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, these days you can get like sleep trackers and stuff like that. And just general like apps that track lots of different things. I'm like, I cannot go anywhere near anything like that. Like one mm-hmm. surefire way to get my sleep to be bad and to get me obsessed with my sleep is to get me start tracking it. I'll sleep fine until I start tracking it. <laughs> then I'm going to be obsessed. And like something about me, I just feel like I'm just a sort of like predisposed person to numbers and that kind of thing I feel like I've just had to cut away from them entirely and be like I'll just let my body run the show you know yeah no I completely agree with you and I was thinking that I was like is it people who are like more into maxi like numbers I don't know you're you're more like an English like word person not you but Mm. I I definitely find that everybody who's kind of like got eating disorders are really really interested in numbers and I think it's so um, I mean the numbers on a scale right you know, mm. so I think there's so many things and I think it's important to really break away from the numbers. There's different ways you could do it. One thing is that you need to try and eat food where you don't know what the calories are. So as much as possible, um, you know, for instance, making meals, smoothies, drinks, whatever, where you don't know what you're putting in. So maybe you're looking away when you're adding things or somebody else is making it for you or you're going to a restaurant where the calories aren't on it. Like this as much as possible is going to really make it hard to calorie count. And as much as possible, when the thoughts come up about calorie counting, try to distract yourself, remind yourself why this isn't what something you want to be able to do. And ultimately, like calories are just they're not an exact science. There's so much variability with them. And that really messed with like my eating disorder self because my eating disorder wanted the exact. Yes, yes. I wanted to weigh things to a certain number and that be the exact amount that I was having and that the calories. When you know that there's this variability and like, I mean, even if you look at like, you know, people really look calories burn on, for instance, like a, a machine in the gym. Like how can what how many calories I spend be the same as a man who is like taller than me has got more like caloric needs than me yeah how can, but how can or it be even, even like time of the month for you or if you're fighting off an infection or you've got a cut Definitely. and your body's healing it like yeah it's not possible you, you 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 don't have the same calorie needs from day to day you're absolutely right like so and you don't know your body is so intricate and amazing and if you just stop and think about all the organs and things that are happening in it to keep you alive all the energy that is needed that's not going to be the same from day to day because your body is going through different things on different days. It might be even the weather, the weather, maybe it's using energy to heat you up or cool you down. So it's, it's recognizing that piece. And I think also as much as possible, throwing in foods where you just don't know what the calories are just to really break that cycle of counting 
um, yeah. throughout the day. Yeah, I think that's so helpful. Like having something where you actually cannot count the number, then you can't count the number, you know. Um, so yeah, like going to a cafe and having a cake that's just a, a slice is given to you and it doesn't have the number written on it or somebody else cooking you dinner. Exactly. And and as much as possible, try not to estimate. Try not to try I know, and get- that's the thing is that I feel like your head still tries to do it anyway when you're stocking cal- calorie counting. And also for me, I had such an encyclopedic knowledge of calories. <laughs> I didn't need to look at packets anymore. Like it could have been my mastermind topic. Like I knew calories. degree in calories. Like I knew Literally, it. <laughs> we would have got first. I know. I know. But now I really couldn't tell you. No, I me really neither. It's incredible you. that it's you can incredible. actually. Yeah a hundred percent and I definitely don't think about it like I've never got numbers going around in my head but like you said I've cut away from them like not having any trackers that count anything not writing lists out like you used to have endless lists in notepads of calories like stopping yourself doing those kind of behaviors when you feel your head trying to count be like this is not what I want to do anymore like I don't want to think like this like no brain you're trying to help me but no we don't do that anymore absolutely that's exactly it just breaking away from those behaviors that you know is kind of reinforcing the calorie counting if you're weighing food as much as possible start to stop you know um and that might be with like the easiest things whatever is the easiest thing to stop weighing start with that and then gradually build it up so that you're literally that scale away so true you've just reminded me that it's crippling that kind of thing like I remember being stuck in supermarkets between apples or between bananas you know like trying to find the perfect roundness size crunchiness color cost like the formula in my head of numbers it wasn't just calories it was all sorts of things played into it and it was absolutely crippling and I hated it and I could guess the weight of an apple down to a gram you know (laughs) like incredible skills but not really like what was it what was it doing what did that give me in my life other than torture exactly. in my head it was exactly. not only was it not useful it was actually causing me a lot of pain and annoyance and what that energy how you could have diverted that to something totally different that could have helped you helped other people and actually been something that yeah would really make a big impact long term and not you know be so emotionally distressing as that you know that paralysis yeah yeah and yeah, even like you're saying, detaching from other numbers as well, like weight and stuff like that, like not weighing yourself every day and that dictating your mood for the rest of the day. Just that that link between mood and numbers, you know, like if I see this, then I'm okay. If I see this, then I'm not okay. If I eat within this, then I'm okay. It's like a series of tick boxes. Life just becomes boxes that you have to tick. And if you tick them all, you're okay. If you don't, you're not okay. Like your mood is just so tightly linked then tied. to numbers. And and again, what to your point, what you were saying earlier, your body changes. So how can you like determine like that you've actually gained weight when actually it could be water weight, it could be that your hormones doing something. Like there's so much going on in your body that you can't scrutinize it down to pounds gained or pounds lost. And again, is it is it worth it? Is it really worth it? It's yeah. your body's interaction with gravity on earth and it's it's nothing more than that. It's not your worth. You are worth so much more. Listen to the yeah. I Weigh podcast, which Amelia Jamil talks a lot about this kind of stuff, but it, you're, you're just worth so much more than that, you know? I think also it can go the other way as well. Almost people become fearful of seeing numbers. You can be stuck in like, I have to know every number and everything and I can't eat anything if I don't, or I can't know any number and I can't go to a restaurant when it does have numbers, that kind of thing. So I feel like having that balance, like 
for me, I wanted to be able to exist in both. I wanted to be able to see numbers and that wouldn't influence my decision and equally accept food cooked by anybody where I didn't know the numbers in it. Yeah, exactly. It, you don't want to be to the point of where you you just can't see the numbers. In the beginning of recovery, quite a lot of people have maybe blind weights um, or they, you know, again, maybe a friend would like blank out the calories like on a menu that would help you to actually choose from your preference. But the goal would be to to get to a point where you you don't mind seeing the calories. It's difficult. It's really difficult. Mm. And it's so unnatural. It's not human nature for us to know the calories. So it's okay for you to struggle with that, but it is the world that we live in. And so you want to be able to be a point where you can go to a restaurant that has calories and be able to still choose from your preference. The choosing in a restaurant, I feel like it when you see numbers on a menu, to even then be able to tune into your preferences, because sometimes I think numbers become people's preference. Like, well, now exactly. I just prefer the lowest. <laughs> you know, exactly. you can't even tap into what would I genuinely like here because it feels like, no, what I genuinely like is the lowest because it feels better to you. Like your body's telling you it's better. Why would I want to choose something that's going to cause me anxiety or cause me to feel like crap? Mm-hmm. And and the key here is to like, before you go into the restaurant, before you go into the cafe, think like, what do I fancy? What do I actually yeah. feel like? What do I feel like eating? And then go in with that mindset. That's uh, so helpful. Yeah. Or I would have even, um, yeah, like said before I've gone in, right, I'm going to have a sandwich today or I'm going to have a pasta. And then even if I got there and I was like, oh, actually, I feel like I fancy this, like there'll be time for that in the future, you know, just for now, I need to just know that I can go in and choose a pasta, even when I see the numbers and even if I see something else is lower. Exactly. And my brain is going to kick off like, oh no, but you'd prefer that or you're going to have this today or, but you need to have it for that reason or it costs less or there's always reasons, but just being like, no, right now I just need to challenge this. Mm, exactly yeah it's like you've just got to go with what your plan was so that you know that you can do it it's ticked off and again like you said if there's something else that you thought looked good you can do that another time that can be like your next challenge but you need to prove to yourself that this is something that you can actually do I think even forcing yourself to choose the higher options as well because if you think about what the fear is like essentially for me it was that I always wanted to choose the lowest option that's what I thought I had to do in my head so the rule to break there was choosing something higher you know like showing myself I didn't have to always choose the lowest option and to do that I would choose like the higher option to show myself that that was okay it didn't feel nice like the first few times of doing it was horrendous but now it makes things more neutral so now I can choose something based on preference and if it happens to be a higher option fine doesn't matter yeah absolutely and I think also going back to your point about the different apps I think that's really key as well like just don't engage in it you know like the idea of like oh maybe I'll use this app right now it feels like a choice it's like I could download the app or I could not like just don't do it because down the line it's going to feel like it's something that you can't it's going to be really difficult to take that away you know I've worked with clients where it's it's been it's taken a long time to get rid of apps that they've relied on for so long and I think even like you said like the sleep thing that isn't even an eating disorder thing I'm the same as you there is no way I would benefit from a sleep app because I would just become obsessive over it and it would dictate my mood. I'd be like, oh, I've had a bad sleep. Um, That means that I'm going to have a bad mood the rest of the day. Like, no, I want to be able to like, and that's not for everybody. Some people will probably really benefit from that. Um, Yeah. But But even that, like knowing that you're, knowing that you're different, like it's okay if so-and-so tracks whatever, counts their steps, measures their sleep. Like that shit is not for me. Like it's Mm. okay that you're different. You've got a different body. You're on a different path. And what works for someone else doesn't work for you and that's fine but you can stick to your own lane 
Exactly. And also, there's a lot out there at the moment, especially about researchers saying this, researchers saying this, this is good for your health, this is what that's okay like this was still a study done on a certain number of people and that study did not include you so look back on your own experiences of like would tracking really benefit me personally Mm. because all of us have different needs and just because research says that something is good for you not good for you it doesn't mean that that's definitely applicable to somebody with an eating you yeah the you in that isn't actually you (laughs) yeah what's actually good for you yeah yeah yeah. So true. And at what cost as well? Like if you feel like, oh, but I need to know my numbers or I want to track this, but at what cost? Is it getting away in the way of socializing, spontaneity, enjoying nice food, having fun, mm-hmm. letting go? Yeah, exactly. And if so, like, is it worth it? Definitely not. So I'm just looking through the questions. We've had a couple about body image. Um, comparison to others the competitive natures of eating disorders and whether full recovery is actually possible um so I'm pretty sure Saf the full recovery episode we have actually already recorded this about six months ago it is just so long back that I can't properly remember it I think so so I think there's an episode coming on that and then the others are great topics as well I think we can look into guests Mm -hmm. or do an episode on those seems like people are interested in those as topics yeah they're really good topics to bring up Maybe should we do one more question and then we can have a quick chit chat about where we've been, how we've been and Mm -hmm. what we plan to do with the podcast. Perfect. So the last question I'll pick is, I struggle with spending money on myself and others. I think I remember examples of like buying birthday cards for people or birthday gifts. So did you find this? Did you feel restrictive around money? Definitely. I think that that like scarcity mindset just infiltrates every part of your life, (laughs) Um, whether that be money, things, um, you just worry that you're going to not have enough. I just, I always felt like I just, maybe I didn't have enough. Do you relate? Yeah, definitely. Did you hoard as well? Like, did you hold on to things and? Yeah. Yeah. I hoarded food. Um, There was a lot of food going on, like just scared that it would run out or maybe like the shops wouldn't stop stocking it just needed the comfort of knowing there was a lot of food in the house yeah definitely the scarcity mindset I really experienced and so this person's asking specifically like about money which I think is a really good thing to bring up and I think it's because I think a lot of us feel really embarrassed about that part um and I think try not to because it's just the scarcity mindset it's not you as a person you're not a person that doesn't want to spend money or give to others it's just the eating disorder is trying to keep you alive And so it is like making you feel like you need to keep hold of everything as much as possible in case it runs out. So that's one thing to do. Um, So how did I overcome this? I think it really helped me that my husband is literally the most giving person. Like he's not like he doesn't waste money or anything, but he really does give so freely like to charity. Like he, you know, will buy things for people. He doesn't think twice. Um, and so I think I had a really good role model in that. And I thought, you know what, that's actually really the person I want to be. I really like that. I really like that's one of the best things about him, that he is so giving. And I thought it'd be so nice if I could be that type of person one day that that mm. does that, that thinks about the other person first. Um, so and same, I, yeah, same sort of theme then with challenging foods, like yeah. who do I ultimately want to be how do I ultimately want to live and then aligning your behaviors to that even though I imagine the first few times it didn't feel comfortable oh so uncomfortable so uncomfortable so things like buying gifts um 
for people like that person said or like eating out for meals like I would never eat out for meals I was like why would I ever buy myself lunch when I can make it at home um and by the way I know I'm saying this from a place of real privilege because like not everybody can afford to eat lunch out so I'm really sorry like I, I I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying it like that but for me it wasn't out of a place of like not having enough money it was because I felt like I couldn't you know but no I totally get you and I think it's a really good point as well because like just in the media like cost of living crisis what people are experiencing and how much it's spoken about like it's fearful generally like I feel like it's not even it almost feeds into the ink disorder as well it's not even just the individual like in society there's talk of it and even some of the behaviors are praised as well like just as restrictive food behaviors can be praised or like saving your money can be praised that kind of thing but if it's becoming toxic for you and actually like ruining your quality of life and beyond your means, I know the opposite of beyond your means, but saving and hoarding and not using things, even not using your belongings. Like if I had a candle or a cream or something like that, say I had a cream, that's a really good example. I would not use it for so long that the cream would then go off. Yeah. I used to do that with vouchers. (laughs) And then they expire. But it's, yeah, the vouchers would expire. Like, how gutting is that? Like, just flip and yeah. use the voucher. Go and buy something that's not necessarily a necessity. Like, you just want it. Like, this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But yeah. That's such a good example. Like, when there, so a cream, if there is something that is there and it is usable, you've got it. But still, the restrictive mindset makes it so difficult to do it. Did you also <laughs> find just this also kind of spontaneously or naturally got better as you got better, as your body was healthier you were more nourished you were eating better definitely like part of it was just the fact that I was not eating enough and as I nourished as my brain kind of got the idea that food was coming in regularly like those things kind of just melted away and it just felt more normal um but also I did have to challenge it um, with certain things as well at the same time so I would order lunch out and and know that this is actually part of my recovery and initially that helped me as well that kind of gave me a bit of a reason to do it of like okay this is part of this is part of my recovery like I have a therapist who I pay for and that was hard by the way that was really difficult to like invest in a therapist like to get better because I was like I should just be able to get better but yes yeah, so I'm investing in a therapist so these challenge foods that I'm doing I need to also invest in them because this is going to give me a better chance of recovery. And then as I did it over and over, obviously now I just do it what I can, what I can afford or whatever, um, without thinking that I have to do it to prove it to anybody or because I'm recovering. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so it can feel justified because you're doing it for yourself or because you enjoy it. That's, that's your justification for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Also like, so another thing, which, was a really nice thing that I was able to actually take part in after I kind of got over this is that like part of my faith is like you have to pay two and a half percent of your savings to charity every year and I always felt really bad because yeah I just felt really I really struggled to do that Uh part of it and I think because of the scarcity mindset and so when I started doing that as I kind of recovered it just felt so good it felt so good to like it just felt again more in line with my values aligned it felt good in an aligned way yeah a bit like yeah. being able to go to your family's houses and take their cooking like exactly it was exactly. who you wanted to be and you felt okay doing it because exactly. you've done it exactly it's like the part of my identity I want to be like it's it's, it's who I want to be as opposed to like the eating disorder because the eating disorder is so all-consuming in every different part of your identity and personality the way you yeah. interact with people it just you know it's not just about the food 
and that is a big misconception that people don't who don't struggle with eating disorders don't understand it really takes over every aspect of your life and that's why it's worth recovering that is it really because it will impact so many areas of your life getting better you'll really rediscover who you are and what you care about in that you know mm-hmm. yeah definitely and do you think you could have done that and stayed weight suppressed or stayed restricting your food do you think the two were options available to you not for me no and, I, and that's exclusive. yeah no I and I'm, I'm that's not to say other people I'm sure I'm sure there are people who have got eating disorders who don't have that experience but even though there's so many commonalities to people with eating disorders and often you know when we're even when we're chatting we're like hey same I experienced uh-huh. that too there are differences like we've yeah. also spoken about. we have that too yeah we have a lot yeah of we also have that too so that there are going to be people who, who maybe don't relate to that but for me personally it couldn't have happened I had to I had to get better and that allowed me to live in line with my values and and to let go of that kind of scarcity mindset as well yeah same here completely yeah. And also what you said earlier really hit a nerve with me about being ashamed about the behaviors. I think mm-hmm. there are some things which can be so embarrassing. I heard people talk about shoplifting before um, because of that such strong scarcity mindset or yeah. even like I've taken toilet rolls from places before. I think it's so important to talk about that though, isn't it? Because that is an, ex- that's what, how people, so many people experience that. And yeah. I think the more that we talk about these things that we've gone through and realize that that's not us, Meg, like that's the opposite of you. You're like the most giving person ever. I know that because we're friends now. Like, so it's distressing as that is. And it it feels kind of like maybe embarrassing as I feel. Yeah, yeah, you're so ashamed. Look back on it, you're ashamed. That wasn't you. That was the eating disorder self, like kind of like taking over and hiding who you truly are. So if people are struggling with those behaviors and you do have shame around it, you're not alone we've all gone through it we've all had these and as you get better they go away just add this to your motivation list it's one of one of the things for me which was a spontaneous like I had to challenge things in ways and some of it just spontaneously got better like even as we've been talking I've just remembered I used to live in a building with a shop at the bottom and they always had um like trays of food samples and I would go in all the time for these food samples. Again, not yeah. what you would necessarily expect people's behaviors to be with an eating disorder, but it was free food. And I free would go in and I was so embarrassed. Like they knew who I was. They recognized <laughs> me. And I was really embarrassed of the behavior. Yeah. yeah. But I just, I felt so compelled. Like I didn't how feel to like do I it. Had it. to make the most yeah. of it. Had to make the most of the opportunity. Yeah. And, and that can go for, you know, in other ways when people kind of, maybe they go to buffets or something where it's overwhelming the amount of food that you've got on offer because you just want to make the most of the experience and then you know you kind of eat past fullness for some people and it it, it's just it's a very natural really really natural feeling to have isn't it yeah Tabitha Farrar talks about it a lot actually in her books and in her podcast she spoke a lot about her own experiences and behaviors she was ashamed of but yeah in the same way understands biologically why they were driven yeah exactly yeah she's a good person to talk to follow and to read her books on okay hopefully that helped people in some way and that helped um those people who asked questions too right Meg where you been what you've been up to should do a quick how we've been do you want to go first how have you been how have I been I I've been great 
Uh, I've got nothing really exciting to say other than, yeah, I've just been looking after my two littlies. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old who keep me really busy. Been busy. You've been incredibly busy then. Super busy. I'm just hopping around soft plays in Dubai, trying to keep cool with the weather and going to water parks and things, which is so much fun, but it's, yeah, it's really busy and just building my coaching, really. I'm loving recovery coaching. So that's really what's happening. What about you? Love that. And also just for your coaching, I don't know how much we've spoken about it before, but you coach through Mia Finley, right? Yes, with um, Beyond Body. And yeah, so do do go on the website if you're interested in it. We can link it below. But yeah, it's a good adjunct to um, your treatment team, you know. So if, if you need that kind of support on a daily basis, that's the here and now part of your recovery, the practical aspects of it, then coaching could help. The changing behaviours side exactly. particularly like yeah. tools of how the to do that parts of it yeah exactly great Meg what have you been up to oh my god right I actually feel like where to start with this like you know when you're going through something yourself and it's hard to even understand it or process it yourself like how am I how are you like I don't know and it's so mixed as well you know like there's been so many amazing wonderful things and then also some super tough things like I feel like coping with like grief like if people are new listening um three years ago we lost a baby our first baby and then since losing him we've had a baby so that's a huge mix of like amazing incredible joyful awe and super hard like loss trauma as well God, I feel like I'm gonna cry talking about this you can cry hun. <laughs> okay. been a, a big big mix honestly mm-hmm. like a huge big mix of feelings um and experiences and just yeah learning to cope with that and even the thing this year I've gone back to work full-time I went back at the start of the year when Freddie our second boy had just turned one um and I have found that so difficult so so hard to juggle and manage and I think I just felt really overwhelmed with the workload and burnt out honestly like it also then moved into the month of March which is when Alfie our first boy was born so it's his birthday month and I still find that incredibly difficult to cope with so all of it together I just felt really under-resourced for so much to be going on in my life and I was at the stage where I was like a meeting would finish and I'd run to the toilet and be doing a food shop on my way to the toilet you know and then quickly running back into the next meeting like I was just constantly my brain was going all the time I was going all the time like it was just really really intense I just felt really overwhelmed and really burnt out with it so even just like learning to cope with that in the last few months and how to cut back manage my stress levels manage the amount of things going on in my life look after myself as well you know practice self-care take time for myself try and like really intentionally carve out time for myself where I recharge I think I've like really realized how important it is for me to recharge and not to overcommit myself to things so talking about why the podcast has taken so long to launch the second series, we actually started recording, when was it like September, October last mm. year? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. And we had almost all of the episodes ready to go, but not quite. And then I started work and then it's just been like, a it was just basically on pause since then, wasn't it? And we've kind of just started thinking about it again now and picking it back up. Um, but yeah, we decided in the last couple of weeks to start launching the episodes and then to record the few episodes that are missing. But really sorry to everybody. Like I've been off Instagram as well. So anybody who's 
been messaging me and I haven't responded to messages or they've been looking for the podcast or anything like that even to you and to Lula who we work on the podcast with like I've just been absent from this because I think I just no, had two responsibilities Meg not at all you've been amazing and nobody feels that way we're just happy you're okay and you're feeling all right and we're just here to support you and anything you're able to give in the podcast Instagram YouTube I know people are just going to be grateful for and they don't want would nobody would want to put extra pressure on you that's for sure you've got some absolutely amazing lovely followers who oh, that's so nice people are have so nice gorgeous they yeah, genuinely care amazing. about you so yeah nobody will feel yeah. that way you've got to look after yourself number one first and then yeah, you can- I think I think that's part of it as well honestly like I'm such a person that I'm just like yes of course no problem like I'm always yeah. wanting to do and like committing and blah, blah and I guess before maybe that was okay when I didn't have Freddie at home to look after you know and I wasn't going back to work I wasn't coping with trauma and grief and loss and yeah. I don't know now anxiety as well with having Freddie here like love him so much and I've also found it terrifying having him so it's everything's just been such a mix and I have just found it so hard to even I find it hard to understand what's mm. been going on to process yeah. it that kind of thing so yeah I don't know if you I feel like, going, other, like yeah I do I do I mean I think you've gone you're going through something extraordinary um that a lot of people won't experience so I think your feelings are just you know going to be amplified and it's amazing that you're doing what you're doing to be honest having gone through everything you've been been through um but yeah I mean I think motherhood itself is so transformative and and it it knocks you off your feet and you don't realize like how much it's going to change your life and like you said the anxiety of like are they okay is it all right then you've got going back to work and you're trying to find that balance between work and home life it's it's so difficult it's it's really really hard and I think any mother would say that you know that that it's been hard and yeah you're you're going through a lot and I think focusing on the self-care and and looking after yourself and not over committing is really really important and I think this is you you're very much like yeah I'll do that you'll do I'll do that but this is maybe a lesson for you to learn in boundaries it has been definitely yeah because I can't keep going if I overcommit to everything no, and then, out, then it's no good for anything and Anybody. especially like Freddie I think now I'm so wanting to be here for him I have such a like you know drive to be okay for him as well as me but for him so yeah. I don't want to burn myself okay. out and then the person I really want to be here for I can't be here for yeah. so yeah that learning gorgeous thing. he's gorgeous he's yeah just and he is he's a beautiful just... boy oh uh-huh. So we had, we had a play date together yesterday. I popped yeah. over to his house. <laughs> the kids had a play date together. Yeah, I love how they played together as as opposed to kind of played alongside <laughs> each other. But hey, yeah, we started um, the process of them becoming best friends. <laughs> yeah, they played independently in their own little worlds next to the next <laughs> <person> world, <laughs> with the occasional hair pull. But yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or even another fish finger. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's beautiful though. He's yeah, absolutely he's, amazing. He's, he's incredible. He is amazing. He is just like he has brought us so much joy and love. He is just phenomenal. I think it's just that complicated thing, isn't it? When you feel lots of different things and life's like it's not just Instagram perfect and looks gorgeous. No. Or no, it's just multifaceted, isn't it? And and I think that's what people appreciate about you as well, Meg. Like you're real. So you're not gonna say like things are perfect when they're not or make an excuse for being away that you've been I don't know on some world adventure like (laughs) and you've taken a step back and I think everybody would actually really like you know appreciate you and respect you for doing that 
thank you yeah no definitely I don't want to say it's all perfect bits are difficult bits are amazing and bits are difficult bits are different, yeah but then it's yeah. difficult to like where's the line of like you don't want to overshare or be too personal if you're still trying to come to terms with it yourself like yeah. it's sometimes hard to talk about something when you're in the middle of it so yeah that's a bit of a I've maybe I don't know how good a job I've done of talking about it you've, you've done a perfect job you found the balance you've done perfect of the other part of it as well I just thought um another big thing as well is just protecting my recovery in it all like it's been a really really hard few years and I mean people have all sorts of experiences with pregnancy and motherhood anyway um but definitely for me like going through loss anxiety worry you know all of those things just being so committed to like and food does not waver you know like it doesn't matter if I don't fancy eating I will still always eat like I've almost gone quite robotic with my food at times in the last few years just just to protect myself like I have no desire to go back at all and it could happen accidentally like I don't have to have intention for a relapse to happen it could happen by accident so I'm just so conscious of that and doing my best to protect myself and my family yeah absolutely and and that I think the fact that you've got that awareness is is so key and it's important for people to know that as well that you can slip unintentionally and so you do have to protect your recovery it's not like when you're recovering from your eating disorder that every day is like a slog but it's like you know that there are certain things you you're not going to start cutting out meals you're not going to start cutting out snacks you know that even if your appetite is not there it's not necessarily because you don't need the food it's because you're grieving or you've got anxiety there's so many things and and that taking the food out is not going to help the situation it's actually going to make your body more scared and more nervous and and increase the problems not decrease yeah and if yeah if things are already hard the last thing I need is to then have food in the equation you know it's weird sometimes it can almost feel disordered to be that routine about your food like especially if other people around you aren't doing it or if someone else loses their appetite so then they just don't eat as much or if Mm. someone else loses their appetite then they act on that but for me I'm like I can't act on that like if I lose my appetite I'm gonna be really really structured with my food so sometimes it can feel a bit weird but I'm like no it's protective like I think you're doing so well that you know to do that you know it's not that it's like oh why are you still doing that like well if I wasn't doing that I would risk relapsing so exactly no I think that shows that you're in the best place actually because you know that you know your red flags you know that that's that's something that would you know trigger potentially a behavior and and even though that's not a place that you're at right now you just don't want to even risk it because your recovery is so precious to you and like we said before like it literally impacts every part of your life and you're not willing to even risk that yeah so true even unintentionally yeah yeah even unintentionally thank you for sharing Meg thanks so much for (laughs) listening and talking to me then yeah Um, I guess with the podcast as well what this means for the podcast so we're back in season two now which the majority of it we recorded months and months ago and now we're launching to the guests yeah (laughs) I know I know I do feel so guilty for it yeah it's also men I mean I'm confused about what episodes we've even recorded if I'm honest but for these reasons that we've given we're maybe not as prepared or mapped out this time not that I think that matters we hadn't even particularly they're amazing guests they're incredible guests and then also last season was 10 episodes so we'll try if we can to get 10 out this time but maybe there might be a pause one week if we didn't have time to record one or something it might just stretch out over a longer time and then we'll look forward to a season three I think afterwards but 
again, time frame wise, it's just it's just hard to fully commit to what that's going to look right. like and when it will be. Thank you for listening. Still, yeah, no, I've loved making it with you, Sophia, yeah. and everyone's so kind with like messages and comments and stuff Lovely. like that. And, Very nice, and the guests as well. It's been great, like meeting people, chatting to people, reading their work. Yeah, it's been really amazing. A lot of inspiring people. Yeah. Uh, even like with the questions everyone sent, I was like, oh yeah, we could do topics on that. We could find a guest yeah. on that. We can do an episode yeah. on that. So that's really helpful as well. Like that can give us some good inspiration. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. So thank you to all those people who did that. Right. Thank you so much, Sophia. Thanks, Meg. Loved it. Great chat. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Welcome to Rewired, an eating disorder recovery podcast. Hi, I'm Meg. And I'm Sophia. Each episode, we'll share experiences from our own eating disorder recoveries and our lives beyond. We will also be joined by some amazing guests and experts in the field who will share their experience, knowledge and advice to give hope that recovery is possible. Just to point out, Sophia and I are not medical professionals and we'll also be learning from our guests as we go. The podcast content reflects our own experiences and opinions as well as that of our guests and should not be taken as medical advice. Welcome to the Rewired Podcast.